Yeah, and good afternoon. It's 4 o'clock. Thanks for tuning in to CFRC 101.9 FM. We are located here in Lower Carruthers Hall, Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario. My name is Bruce. This is Finding a Voice, spoken word program airing here every Friday afternoon from 4 to 6 o'clock. We do stream live online as well at www.cfrc.ca. And uh, we're in the very final, well, I think not even final weeks anymore. It's the final 10 day of our funding drive, and I'll touch base with you about that later in the show. But in this first hour, uh, you'll hear a recording of, uh, I think, believe 1952 recording of Dylan Thomas reading his long poem, A Child's Christmas in Wales. And that's actually how we'll start the program today. And uh, following that, from a November 26th book launch event at the Grad Club, you'll hear readings by Meg Freer and Gary Raspberry. Then in the second hour from the November 26th book launch event at the Grad Club, you'll hear Alan Breezemaster reading from and launching his new collection of poetry, The Long Bond. And following that, from the November 5th and the Journey Continues Open Mic Monthly series, you'll hear readings by Bob McKenzie, Meg Freer, Ken Chin, Lyle Merriam, Corey Toke, Chris Carney, John Rose, Sarah M. Tish, Eric Folsom, Raven Adamson, I believe it's Edie Reaney, and me. And this first, though, the usual hourly announcement, occasionally some poetry, spoken word, or music played on this show may contain strong language, but it's all played in its entirety with content unedited to honor the creative integrity of both the author and the piece. So up first, uh, because this is the final week before the holiday Here is, uh, again, I believe it's a 1952 recording of Dylan Thomas uh, reading his long seasonal poem called A A Child's Christmas in Wales. One Christmas was so much like the other in those years around the sea town corner now. Out of all sound except the distant speaking of the voices I sometimes hear a moment before sleep that I can never remember whether it snowed for six days and six nights when I was twelve, or whether it snowed for twelve days and twelve nights when I was six. All the Christmases rolled down towards the two-tongued sea like a cold and headlong moon bundling down the sky that was our street. And they stop at the rim of the ice-edged, fish-freezing waves, and I plunge my hands in the snow and bring out whatever I can find. In goes my hand into that wool-white, bell-tongued ball of holidays resting at the rim of the carol-singing sea, and out come Mrs. Prothero and the firemen. It was on the afternoon of the day of Christmas Eve, and I was in Mrs. Prothero's garden, waiting for cats with her son, Jim. It was snowing. It was always snowing at Christmas. December, in my memory, as white as Lapland, although there were no reindeers. But there were cats, patient, cold, and callous, our hands wrapped in socks. We waited to snowball the cats. Sleek and long as jaguars and horrible whiskered, spitting and snarling, they would slide and sidle over the white back garden walls, and the lynx-eyed hunters Jim and I, fur-capped and moccasined trappers from Hudson Bay off Mumbles Road, 
would hurl our deadly snowballs at the green of their eyes. The wise cats never appeared. We were so still, Eskimo-footed Arctic marksmen in the muffling silence of the eternal snows, eternal ever since Wednesday, that we never heard Mrs. Prothero's first cry from her igloo at the bottom of the garden. Or if we heard it at all, it was to us like the far-off challenge of our enemy and prey, the neighbor's polar cat. But soon the voice grew louder. Fire, cried Mrs. Prothero, and she beat the dinner gong. And we ran down the garden with the snowballs in our arms towards the house, and smoke indeed was pouring out of the dining room, and the gong was bombolating, and Mrs. Prothero was announcing ruin like a town crier in Pompeii. This was better than all the cats in Wales standing on the wall in a row. We bounded into the house laden with snowballs and stopped at the open door of the smoke-filled room. Something was burning, all right. Perhaps it was Mr. Prothero, who always slept there after midday dinner with a newspaper over his face. But he was standing in the middle of the room saying, A fine Christmas, and smacking at the smoke with a slipper. Call the fire brigade, cried Mrs. Prothero as she beat the gong. They won't be here, said Mr. Prothero. It's Christmas. There was no fire to be seen, only clouds of smoke, and Mr. Prothero standing in the middle of them, waving his slipper as though he were conducting. Do something, he said, and we threw all our snowballs into the smoke. I think we missed Mr. Prothero and ran out of the house to the telephone box. Let's call the police as well, Jim said, and the ambulance, and Ernie Jenkins, he likes fires. But we only called the fire brigade, and soon the fire engine came, and three tall men in helmets brought a hose into the house, and Mr. Prothero got out just in time before they turned it on. Nobody could have had a noisier Christmas Eve. And when the fireman turned off the hose and was standing in the wet, smoky room, Jim's aunt, Miss Prothero, came downstairs and peered in at them. Jim and I waited very quietly to hear what she would say to them. She said the right thing, always. She looked at the three tall firemen in their shining helmets, standing among the smoke and cinders and dissolving snowballs, and she said, Would you like anything to read? Years and years ago, when I was a boy, when there were wolves in Wales and birds the colour of red flannel petticoats whisked past the harp-shaped hills, when we sang and wallowed all night and day in caves that smelt like Sunday afternoons in damp front farmhouse parlours, and we chased with the jawbones of deacons the English and the bears, before the motor car, before the wheel, before the duchess-faced horse, when we rode the daft and happy hills bareback, it snowed and it snowed. But here a small boy says, It snowed last year, too. I made a snowman and my brother knocked it down, and I knocked my brother down, and then we had tea. 
But that was not the same snow, I say. Our snow was not only shaken from whitewashed buckets down the sky. It came shawling out of the ground and swam and drifted out of the arms and hands and bodies of the trees. Snow grew overnight on the roofs of the houses like a pure and grandfather moss. Minutely ivied the walls and settled on the postman opening the gate like a dumb, numb thunderstorm of white, torn Christmas cards. Were there postmen then, too? With sprinkling eyes and wind-cherried noses on spread frozen feet, they crunched up to the doors and mittened on them manfully. But all that the children could hear was a ringing of bells. You mean that the postman went rat-a-tat-tat and the doors rang? I mean that the bells that the children could hear were inside them. I only hear thunder sometimes. Never bells. There were church bells, too. Inside them? No, 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 in the bat-black snow-white belfries tugged by bishops and storks. And they rang their tidings over the bandaged town, over the frozen foam of the powder and ice cream hills, over the crackling sea. It seemed that all the churches boomed for joy under my window, and the weathercocks crew for Christmas on our fence. Get back to the postmen. They were just ordinary postmen, fond of walking and dogs and Christmas and the snow. They knocked on the doors with blue knuckles. Ours has got a black knocker. And then they stood on the white welcome mat in the little drifted porches and huffed and puffed, making ghosts with their breath and jogged from foot to foot like small boys wanting to go out. And then the presents, and then the presents after the Christmas box. And the cold postman with a rose on his button nose tingled down the tea tray slithered run of the chilly glinting hill. He went in his ice-boned boots like a man on fishmonger's slabs. He wagged his bag like a frozen camel's hump, dizzily turned the corner on one foot, and by God, he was gone. Get back to the presents. There were the useful presents, engulfing mufflers of the old coach days and mittens made for giant sloths. Zebra scarves of a substance like silky gum that could be tug-of-war down to the galoshes. Blinding tamoshanters like patchwork tea cozies and bunny-suited busbies and balaclavas for victims of head-shrinking tribes. From aunts who always wore wool next to the skin, there were moustached and rasping vests that made you wonder why the aunts had any skin left at all. And once I had a little crocheted nosebag from an aunt now, alas, no longer winning with us. And pictureless books in which small boys, though warned with quotations not to, would skate on Farmer Giles's pond and did and drowned. And books that told me everything about the wasp, except why. Go on to the useless presence. Bags of moist and many-coloured jelly babies and a folded flag and a false nose and a tram conductor's cap and a machine that punched tickets and rang a bell, never a catapult. Once, by a mistake that no one could explain, a little hatchet and a celluloid duck that made when you pressed it a most unduck-like sound, a mewing moo that an ambitious cat might make who wished to be a cow. 
and a painting book in which I could make the grass, the trees, the sea, and the animals any color I please. And still the dazzling sky blue sheep are grazing in the red field under the rainbow billed and pea green bird. Hard-boiled, toffee, fudge and all sorts, crunches, cracknel, humbugs, glaciers, marzipan, and butter Welsh for the Welsh. And troops of bright tin soldiers who, if they could not fight, could always run. And snakes and families and happy ladders and easy hobby games for little engineers, complete with instructions. Oh, easy for Leonardo. And a whistle to make the dogs bark, to wake up the old man next door, to make him beat on the wall with his stick, to shake our picture off the wall. And a packet of cigarettes. You put one in your mouth and you stood at the corner of the street and you waited for hours in vain for an old lady to scold you for smoking a cigarette and then with a smirk you ate it. And then it was breakfast under the balloons. Were there uncles, like in our house? There are always uncles at Christmas, the same uncles. And on Christmas mornings, with dog-disturbing whistle and sugar fags, I would scour the swathed town for the news of the little world and find always a dead bird by the post office or the white, deserted swings. Perhaps a robin, all but one of his fires out. Men and women wading, scooping back from chapel with taproom noses and wind-busked cheeks, all albinos, huddled their stiff black jarring feathers against the irreligious snow. Mistletoe hung from the gas brackets in all the front parlors. There was sherry and walnuts and bottled beer and crackers by the dessert spoons. And cats in their furabouts watched the fires. And the high-heaped fires spat, all ready for the chestnuts and the mulling pokers. Some few large men sat in the front parlors without their collars, uncles almost certainly, trying their new cigars, holding them out judiciously at arm's length, returning them to their mouths, coughing, then holding them out again as though waiting for the explosion. And some few small aunts, not wanted in the kitchen, nor anywhere else for that matter, sat on the very edges of their chairs, poised and brittle, afraid to break like faded cups and saucers. Not many those mornings trod the piling streets. An old man, always fawn-bowlered, yellow-gloved, and at this time of year with spats of snow, would take his constitutional to the white bowling green and back as he would take it wet or fire or on Christmas Day or doomsday. Sometimes two hale young men with big pipes blazing, no overcoats and wind-blown scarves would trudge unspeaking down to the forlorn sea to work up an appetite to blow away the fumes, who knows, to walk into the waves until nothing of them was left but the two curling smoke clouds of their inextinguishable briars. Then I would be slap-dashing home, the gravy smell of the dinners of others, the bird smell, the brandy, the pudding and mince coiling up to my nostrils, when out of a snow-clogged side lane would come a boy the spit of myself with a pink-tipped cigarette and the violet past of a black eye, cocky as a bullfinch, leering all to himself. 
I hated him on sight and sound and would be about to put my dog whistle to my lips and blow him off the face of Christmas when suddenly he, with a violet wink, put his whistle to his lips and blew so stridently, so high, so exquisitely loud that gobbling faces their cheek bulged with goose would press against their tinseled windows the whole length of the white echoing street. For dinner we had turkey and blazing pudding, and after dinner the uncles sat in front of the fire, loosened all buttons, put their large, moist hands over their watch chains, groaned a little, and slept. Mothers, aunts, and sisters scuttled to and fro, bearing tureens. Aunt Bessie, who had already been frightened twice by a clockwork mouse, whimpered at the sideboard and had some elderberry wine. The dog was sick. Auntie Dursey had to have three aspirins, but Auntie Hannah, who liked port, stood in the middle of the snowbound backyard, singing like a big-bosomed thrush. I would blow up balloons to see how big they would blow up to, and then when they burst, which they all did, the uncles jumped and rumbled. In the rich and heavy afternoon, the uncles breathing like dolphins and the snow descending, I would sit among festoons and Chinese lanterns and nibble dates and try to make a model man-of-war following the instructions for little engineers and produce what might be mistaken for a sea-going tramcar. Or I would go out, my bright new boots squeaking into the white world, onto the seaward hill, to call on Jim and Dan and Jack, and to pad through the still streets, leaving huge, deep footprints on the hidden pavements. I bet people will think they've been hippos. What did you do if I saw a hippo coming down our street? I'd go like this, bang! I'd throw him over the railings and roll him down the hill, and then I'd tickle him under the ear and he'd wag his tail. What would you do if you saw two hippos? Iron flanked and bellowing he hippos clanked and battered through the scudding snow towards us as we passed Mr. Daniel's house. Let's post Mr. Daniel a snowball through his letterbox. Let's write things in the snow. Let's write Mr. Daniel looks like a spaniel all over his lawn. Or we walked on the white shore. Can the fishes see it snowing? The silent, one-clouded heavens drifted onto the sea. Now we were snow-blind travelers lost on the north hills, and vast dew-lapped dogs with flasks around their necks ambled and shambled up to us, baying excelsior. We returned home through the poor streets, where only a few children fumbled with bare red fingers in the wheel-rutted snow, and cat called after us, their voices fading away as we trudged uphill into the cries of the dock birds and the hooting of ships out in the whirling bay. And then at tea, the recovered uncles would be jolly, and the ice cake loomed in the center of the table like a marble grave. Auntie Hannah laced her tea with rum, because it was only once a year. Bring out the tall tales now that we told by the fire as the gaslight bubbled like a diver. Ghosts wooed like owls in the long nights when I dared not look over my shoulder. Animals lurked in the cubbyhole under the stairs where the gas meter ticked. And I remember that we went singing carols once when there wasn't the shaving of a moon to light the flying streets. At the end of a long road was a drive that led to a large house. 
And we stumbled up the darkness of the drive that night, each one of us afraid, each one holding a stone in his hand, in case, and all of us too brave to say a word. The wind through the trees made noises as of old and unpleasant and maybe web-footed men wheezing in caves. We reached the black bulk of the house. What shall we give them? Hark the herald? No, Jack said. Good King Winslas, I'll count three. One, two, three, and we began to sing our voices high and seemingly distant in the snow-felted darkness round the house that was occupied by nobody we knew. We stood close together near the dark door. Good King Winslas last looked out on the feast of Stephen. And then a small, dry voice like the voice of someone who has not spoken for a long time, joined our singing. A small, dry, eggshell voice from the other side of the door. A small, dry voice through the keyhole. And when we stopped running, we were outside our house. The front room was lovely. Balloons floated under the hot water bottle gulping gas. Everything was good again and shone over the town. Perhaps it was a ghost, Jim said. Perhaps it was Trolls, Dan said, who was always reading. Let's go in and see if there's any jelly left, Jack said. And we did that. Always on Christmas night there was music. An uncle played the fiddle, a cousin sang Cherry Ripe, and another uncle sang Drake's drum. It was very warm in the little house. Auntie Hannah, who had got onto the parsnip wine, sang a song about bleeding hearts and death, and then another in which she said her heart was like a bird's nest. And then everybody laughed again, and then I went to bed. Looking through my bedroom window, out into the moonlight and the unending smoke-colored snow, I could see the lights in the windows of all the other houses on our hill, and hear the music rising from them up the long, steadily falling night. I turned the gas down. I got into bed. I said some words to the close and holy darkness, and then I slept. And you just heard uh, recording, I believe it was 1952, uh, of Dylan Thomas uh, reading his uh, long poem, A Child's uh, Christmas in Wales. And uh, just want to let you know you're listening to Finding a Voice here on CFRC 101.9 FM. My name's Bruce, and I'm here every Friday afternoon from 4 to 6 o'clock. Tell you what, let's go ahead and jump into something a little more recent and local. It was I've I've heard about uh, the poem. Uh, the poem it's a prose poem, and I guess uh, it could be called either prose or prose poem. But it, that's the first time I think in a very long time I've listened to it completely, and it was kind of it was kind of a treat. So hope you enjoyed it out there. Let's go ahead and get more local and uh, recent and let's go ahead and go into a November 26th book launch and reading event at the Grad Club. Uh, you're going to hear the first reading. Uh, I just want to mention very briefly that the first two readings <laughs> didn't take 
at uh, the grad club. So luckily, they were both local, and I re uh, recorded at my apartment actually. So you're going to hear a bit of difference between the background sound in the first two readings and then in the third reading, which will air right after the top of the hour. But as they were, exactly as they were read that night and introduced, up first here is Meg Freer. Meg Freer grew up in Missoula, Montana, and went to school in Minnesota and New Jersey, where she studied musicology and also worked in scholarly book publishing. She now teaches piano, takes photos, Wishes she had more time to write poetry and enjoys the outdoors year-round in Ontario. Her photos, poems, and prose have been published in journals such as Ruminate, Vallum uh, Contemporary Poetry, Poetry South, Eastern Iowa Review, and Rat's Ass Review. In 2017, she attended the summer literary seminars in Tbilisi, uh, Republic of Georgia, her poems have been shortlisted and have won awards in several contests in both the U.S. and Canada. Let's bring up Meg Freer. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you for the opportunity to read tonight with two other poets, Alan and Gary. I'll start with a prose poem, which is based on an experience from a recent trip to Ireland. If you've ever been to the Cliffs of Moher on the West Coast, you may recognize the setting. And there are some quotes interspersed in between the stanzas that come from an article in the Journal of Travel Medicine, and those are used with permission from the authors. Stone Music. We persevere through strong, prevailing winds on the coastal path, walk past the stone memorial to those who lost their lives here, past an ad, need to talk? Samaritans, one 850 past a sign, you are now leaving the grounds of the Cliffs of Mower Visitor Center, exercise extreme caution beyond this point. We join a steady stream of tourists and go beyond the sign, advising, please do not go beyond this point. A fall from the cliff edge to the base is incompatible with survival. I am sure it will be the man who takes a wide stance half a meter from the exposed cliff edge while he focuses his zoom lens, or any of the people who pose for selfies, maybe one or all of the three men who sit right on the edge. I ask the one looking through binoculars if he has seen Atlantic puffins and worry he might lean over too far. No forensic evidence that any victim had been pushed over the cliffs. But the puffins, I later heard, had left two weeks before, and the man with binoculars has just seen someone drop 600 feet off these sandstone and shale cliffs. The search and rescue helicopter circles and hovers, circles and hovers. A winchman descends to the cliff top to speak to witnesses, while the all-seeing scurvy grass, sheep spit, and hawkweed gossip and afternoon light wanes. Nearly two-thirds of all victims who died on the cliffs were male. The sea gives up the man's personal belongings, keeps his body to herself that evening and overnight, and her crashing waves play stone music with his bones. Next day, shore patrols spot the body at the cliff base, and Irish Coast Guard swimmers risk being dashed against large rocks to retrieve him and return to the rescue boat. 
suicide or open verdicts were returned by the coroner in 50% of international fatalities. Celtic crows, many and loud, add their voices to those in my head. I have too much information. The newspapers call it a personal tragedy, but what scale-tipping speck caused the man to question his status as a person? Summer extends a gossamer hand over October, the flowering fruiting hedgerow brambles, a false blessing foretelling the hard winter that will echo across blanket bog, mountains, and moorland. This next poem appears in a nice little anthology from Skywing Press of war-themed poems by Canadian and American writers, some written by veterans. This particular poem of mine is based on a World War I nurse's account of her time working in Louisiana. It's called Red Cross Cutting Rooms. Upstairs, we trace patterns on the top surface slice through wads of cloth 175 folds thick, more easily than through butter. The round blades electric hum a prelude for warm garments, sewn to console soldiers overseas who have not yet suffered. Downstairs we cut bandages and wind them into rolls, bandages for wounds deep as those in hearts back home. The next poem I'll read comes from a recent anthology of transcendent poetry called The Spirit It Travels, published by Cosmographia Books in Rochester. This poem is called Room 19. They still slice brains at the Moscow Brain Institute with the same hand-cranked deli meat slicer, which carves genius into thin memories and past sins that could flutter to the floor from careless fingers. Brains marinate in formaldehyde inside flowered borscht pots, while history's great minds rest in glass cases. 31,000 slivers of flesh mounted on glass, stored behind three reinforced alarmed doors. 14 green leather-bound volumes embossed with five letters, L-E-N-I-N. What used to be a state secret is no longer. These books transcribe the territorial map of Lenin's brain, 31,000 snapshots of each decision, good or bad, each strength, each weakness exposed slice by slice. Greatness comes with more of everything. Most brains there get only two or 3,000 chances to prove themselves. Rocket scientists, writers, secret police, Lenin's widow, and Stalin, the architecture of their brain cells disassembled. Poor Mayakovsky, your suicide celebrated by a white lab coat who chopped through your apartment walls with an axe, raced away with your unusually large brain in a wash basin straight to the slicer. Lenin's widow answered questions about her husband's personality to shine more light on science. But the Bolsheviks changed her answers to ensure greatness. His tenor voice became baritone, no lovesick romantic lead role for him. Shaky vision in one eye vanished. In the end, nothing could be discovered by examining under a microscope what makes a genius or a dictator. Consequences. Snip a bit here, a bit there, erase a person, remove an event, alter a date. In fact, 
Delete your whole past so your future doesn't know why or how it is. And while you're at it, rip up the future too, just in case. Mass self-censorship in advance. And for goodness sake, change your underwear in the event you end up in the emergency room, because it's all about appearances anyway. Associations, connections that become a juggling contest in the media circus to see who will drop something first. Decades ago, in the Moscow circus, did the dancing bears who balanced on tall poles wonder what you thought? Consider future consequences? Or did they simply keep rolling on those giant balls and hope not to fall off? Now a couple of more meditative poems. Remove the day. The thunderstorm passed through tonight. She gets new shoes when it rains. Summer grows out of her hair as herons take flight. Autumn's chill seeps into the fine strands. The atmosphere changes and time shift. Somewhere, someone must be playing Sibelius. The clouds crack like plaster of Paris, and she discovers she has the power to split a whirlpool in two. During a solar eclipse, it's not the shadows on the sidewalk that matter, but the little crescents of sunlight between the shadows. The extreme becomes ordinary when that's all you know. Interwoven. A lost chicken walked down our city driveway this morning, headed for a better spot in the pecking order, or perhaps someone's evening soup. The drumbeat in the song on the car radio sounded exactly like the turn signal, or the chicken's tapping feet, and I tried in vain to turn it off. I received news of my mother. The toe that was bothering her has been taken care of. When your feet hurt, you hurt all over, so now she will stand and sleep in comfort. Huzzah! When my daughter was young, she used to write things on small pieces of paper. Random phrases such as, Ask the Cornfoot Club, or The Boot Cracks in Sore Fury. Take me on a tour of the generations. Weave straight lines into curves. Let me feel the ache of evolution. Where words leave off, what begins? My hands feel the motions, braid invisible hair. This next poem is a kind of response to a poem in Wild Matter, which is a book by another local poet, Brenda Lifeso. And I've quoted a few lines from her poems, Survival and Nine Ways of Looking at January. This poem of mine is called Your October and Mine. Your October feels like the futility of chasing sheep's wool across fields, and your nasturtiums survive, fill in gaps, turn, slow, follow, bow. But mine is all about how nasturtiums take over corners of the garden and flow out across the walk, dare to grow bigger and brighter every day. How grass still shines bright green, cicadas buzz on past September, a cardinal sings each morning in a particular tree, and even the wasp has a shadow. How my son notes that today the thermometer reads the same as the average yearly temperature in temperate deciduous forests. And my October offers yours, a hug, a hot toddy, and one of those wool sweaters with which you would wrap the world during hoarfrost crisp January. This next poem is a kind of rant about nursing homes and watching people grow old. It's called Facts Never Wake Up. 
My lip splits in the same place every morning when I smile. Flowering words bleed onto the floor. How many pages will it take to get through the desert? The nursing home residents for whom nothing else can be done recite, if today I am to do nothing, I will do it gallantly, but vultures eat the noise of prayer. Life's beginning an absurd lottery, its end a failed experiment. Pack grace and patience to deal with those who cut corners, use years and pounds to quantify respect, end inconvenient lives. Human wisdom is not cumulative. The drip torch lights a controlled burn, but wildfire on the move sounds like a train. We seek grapes in the bramble bush, seize the dreams of the elderly, rush onward. And I'll finish with this poem, which has to do with vision and perception, seeing things through various types of lenses. It's called Lenticular Valentines. Typically, the odd couple meets up at the cheese table. Tension and force scatter boulders, hot diamond born on glassy shores where green ice whispers around glaciers, clouds rest on the leeward side of the mountains, sweet adrenaline wears a shade of blue that needs some UV to get excited. In math, odd doesn't mean strange. Real isn't the opposite of fake. Crumpled balls of paper follow laws when thrown across a room. Does yours imply the existence of mine? The smaller the lens, the sharper the view. Sprinkle sand to reflect the light. Sculpt a passage from four to you. Thank you. And that was Meg Freer. Let's give her another hand. And you just heard uh, Meg Freer in uh, the November 26th uh, book launch and uh, reading event at the Grad Club. Up next in it, uh, and this one too re-recorded, here is Gary Raspberry. Gary Raspberry describes himself as philosopher, poet, imagination consultant, Musician, artist, educator, insecure, extrovert, reluctant, enthusiast, risk-taker, scaredy-cat, small animal with fast metabolism. With a Ph.D. in education and over 30 years' experience as an artist and an educator, Gary has held uh, artist-in-residencies, in big cities and small towns, including Barcelona, Amsterdam, Vancouver, Jasper, Halifax, and, of course, his hometown of Kingston, Ontario. This Juno-nominated children's artist offers song, story, and sound workshops and concert performances in schools everywhere. Gary has published three collections of poems to date. His forthcoming book, Polishing Stone, the collected lyrics arrives, or did arrive, in October. Let's bring up Gary Raspberry. I'd like to read four poems from a collection called Some Days 
just noticing. These poems were written over the course of one calendar year. I wrote a poem a day for 365 days, and all the entries are dated entries. I went back through all these dated entries and in my own pen wrote subtitles for all the entries uh, to prepare for, for readings like, like this evening. And I've chosen, uh, because uh, today is uh, November 26th, I went to choose today's date to begin the readings, and I looked at November 26th, and it is a, a series of connected poems uh, from some traveling I was doing. So, of course, I couldn't read November 26th out of context, so I've gone back to November 24. So I'm going to read four pieces from Some Days Just Noticing, uh, November 24, 25, 26, and 27. November 24, Bound for Peru. Poet writes rhyming couplets on a plane headed for South America. We all walk out to the end of the wing to listen to the pilot sing, a song we thought we knew so well, but with the wind in our ears, it's hard to tell. A blue wash of moon, the ocean swell, in the black of night, it's hard to tell. November 25th, Peruvian Light. Add this to your poem, the sound of water making its way down the mountain, ceaseless and noisy, like your thoughts, and birdsong. Don't forget the birdsong, sweetening the morning, the Peruvian light of a quality that asks for nothing, yet demands something more. Words don't do the trick. The pen hovers, wondering how it might be possible to bring the here, here, capture the now for later. November 26, Dizzy. As is so often the case, I don't know where I am. A lush garden in a deep valley, dizzy just to crane my neck to take in the tops of the mountains. The impossible sheer face that drops down to where I sit. I am in a place I've never been, feeling as though I am in other places I've never been. Nepal, Vietnam, Nicaragua, China. I don't know why this is so, but I will add this to my poem. November 27, Evening Light. Evening light that dazzles, leaves that vibrate and sway, the dance of shadows, the dizziness, something ancient, Tiny birds that would fit in your pocket sing to you in Spanish. Translators of your dreams. Little songs and sounds that begin to turn day into night. The Peruvian family climbs the steep road back up from the fields. Children carrying large bundles of cilantro. The light falling hard. And the next two pieces are from my first collection, of poems uh, from a collection called As Though It Could Be Otherwise. The first poem I wanted to read is, uh, is for the season that we are currently in, which is uh, not quite winter. 
This piece is called Pre-Winter Bleak. Hard to even scratch out a line across the country, the wind blowing like a son of a bitch, the ground hard and dry, waiting for white to cover all sins. Barns ravaged and twisted wait around every crook and curve in the highway. Field after field, bleached and beaten, boulder and stone, ready for harvest. You see some lights, Christmas lights, hung in the shape of a cross, for Christ's sake. Wet snow on the windows, windshield wiper trance, bleak metronome, gives you measure, time to think about the gray hills, blunt sky, jagged tree limbs, dying for some other season. And the second piece from As Though It Could Be Otherwise is a piece uh, that's called um, Poets on a Plain. And this is for, uh, I wrote for the performance poet, Sherry D. Wilson, who is an Alberta poet, a very fine performance artist. And I met her uh, a few times on the circuit, and uh, she is a, she sort of a dazzles. And uh, I ended up on a flight. I did not know Sherry personally, but I ended up sitting beside her on a flight uh, out of Calgary. We were going to, I believe we were flying to Vancouver. And we sat together, and I was, uh, I felt quite intimidated sitting beside Sherry. I felt quite uh, mortal, uh, quite not like a poet. Uh, quite, I, I turned quite small as, uh, as, as we conversed uh, over the Rockies. This piece is called uh, Poets on a Plain for Sherry D. I met a poet on a plane, our conversation high above the clouds. A witty flight attendant, she is also the captain, in charge, everything under control. Unrehearsed announcements she makes to a captive audience who wonder but don't doubt the authenticity of voice, the veracity of spoken word, the secrets of business class. A nervous co-pilot, I'm trying to remember how to fly without the manual. All the gauges look the same. I pass out snacks, search for words that might rhyme with altimeter, have time to change into a blue leisure suit. Poetry has broken out near the back of the plane, and already we're collecting headsets and asking people to return their chairs and tables to their upright positions. Later, waiting for our luggage, the planet tilts the night sideways. I admit I'm an accountant. A crescent moon catches on the edge of the conveyor belt. All my poems come out in one piece, but badly damaged. One hand hails her a cab, the other too heavy to wave goodbye. Uh, the next piece is from my second collection of poems called More Naked Than Ever. And this piece is uh, called A Font for All Occasions. And when you find yourself reading at poetry events, you're usually surrounded by writers, poets and novelists and writers of one stripe or another. And the topic of font is always interesting. Uh, it's a good conversation starter. And uh, usually I, I ask the, the, the crowd for their, their favorite fonts. 
mine has been for some time for I can't really say why um, my favorite has been a Garamond I've stuck to Garamond I've been quite uh, yeah I've, I've been uh, I think uh, I've been quite faithful to Garamond a font for all occasions here is some giant Garamond coming your way to cheer you up and over the wall of fonts that have spelled your fate for so long. Sorry to hear your news. Ten-point font is sometimes too small for big love, and you are loved. We will continue to love you through this routine sadness. Prose can weigh too heavy sometimes. Some want it spelled out in more certain terms, but there will always be poems, of course. Now, Garamond may or may not carry more joy than Palatino, but Ariel Nero, Courier, Lucida Console, Tahoma, Times New Roman, Modern Number 20, Bookman Old Style, Baskerville, Bank Gothic Optima, Papyrus, Perpetua, Rockwell Extra Bold. And size sometimes does and sometimes does not matter. American Typewriter is a font you were always fond of. Remember how you loved hearing the sounds of the carriage return lining up your worlds? A simple tab enough to put space between you and the things you had to leave behind. Manual labor, Underwood or Olivetti style, was often enough to exercise the demons that enjoyed it best when you did not write. Strike the keys and it's a different story. Blistering editorials, a delicious postscript, concise observations, insightful conclusions, a poem for your daughter, just enough ink left in the ribbon for a love note or two. Some say love is never having to say you're sorry for using a bigger font, and coffee will forever remain unapologetic for how fast it makes you type. And, just between the two of us, and the love that survives spell check, there likely is no one font for all occasions. You are simply you, in all your you-ness, breathing all that you are, and this will always call for the writing of more poems. And for the final piece, uh, this is from my latest collection, which is not a collection of poems, it's a collection of lyrics. And this, this particular collection, I uh, had the, uh, the expressed goal of publishing 60 songs as I turned 60, which happened recently, uh, October 31st, 2019. And um, I'm proud to say that I published this book right on schedule. In fact, it came out a week before my birthday, and it's uh, 60 songs um, at 60. And I've chosen to read the lyrics, uh, which is interesting for me to read lyrics as opposed to singing them because I am a singer-songwriter. Uh, but the piece I chose out of all 60 possibilities is a piece called Wheels on the Bus. This was a piece that I wrote uh, during uh, a Kingston Transit artist pop-up event that happened a couple of years ago here in Kingston. Kingston Transit decided to have a, an event where they, they hired artists to perform at bus stops and the, 
the call for artists came to me by email and it specified that there was not to be any uh, artists on the bus. They would only be at the bus stops. And uh, I wrote back in my application that as a one of the things I do is I perform for children and families, which means I'm used to performing anywhere uh, at any time under all conditions. And most of them are very strange, including uh, gigs where I, I uh, perform as the Via Artist Rail on board. So wheels on the bus, um, when I got on the bus and started uh, um, playing for people, which was a very strange uh, thing for both the passengers and for myself, uh, an ice had to be broken. And of course the song that I chose to, to sing to break the ice was the uh, children's classic Wheels on the Bus. Um, this somehow led to me deciding to write uh, another Wheels on the Bus, which was uh, kind of a, um, an antidote to the other Wheels on the Bus. This was a sort of introspective, uh, more serious take on Wheels on the Bus based on me sitting there thinking about uh, the people who ride the bus every day, and I'm not one of those people, so it let me imagine what that life might be like. The piece is called Wheels on the Bus. The driver on the bus, she is driving down the street you're standing on. She only stops for a moment, lets you in, and then she's gone. She's driving right on cue. She's driving just for you, and you, and you, and you. Does the driver dream she's sailing over oceans big and blue? Or does she dream she's driving a BMW? She's driving right on cue. She's driving just for you, and you, and you, and you. And the wheels on the bus go round and round. The wheels on the bus go round and round. The wheels on the bus go round and round, all through the town. The wheels go round and round. Do you hope you keep your balance, find your seat without falling down? Do you feel the people staring? Do you feel eyes all around? The people in your town, all the sights and sounds, can you feel it all around? And the wheels on the bus go round and round. The wheels on the bus go round and round. The wheels on the bus, they go round and round, all through the town. The wheels go round and round. Are you feeling like a stranger? Are you feeling all alone? Could you use a little love now? You won't find it on your cell phone. So why not give a smile to the folks across the aisle? Why not drive in style? And the wheels on the bus go round and round. The wheels on the bus go round and round. The wheels on the bus, they go round and round. All through the town, the wheels go round and round. Thank you. And let's give Gary Raspberry another hand. And you just heard a reading by Gary Raspberry in the November 26th book launch and reading event at the Grad Club. Uh, that event also featured uh, Ellen Breezemaster launching and reading from his new book of poetry called The Long Bond. 
And uh, that reading itself uh, will begin shortly after the top of the hour in this two-hour show today. So, and we are quick, quickly approaching it at this point. I might point that out. I uh, should say you are listening to Finding a Voice here on CFRC 101.9 FM. My name is Bruce here every Friday afternoon from 4 to 6 o'clock. And I'd like to say thanks for tuning in uh, to the first hour of the show today and hope you can stay tuned uh, for the second as we will again, as just mentioned, finish up the Grad Club book launch. And then we'll also air the unaired portion of the second round of the end. The Journey Continues open mic reading from that monthly series that I began here last week. A quick mention as well that each hour of this show each week uh, will be uploaded to my blog space for it, or is and will be, I guess, uh, after I get home. And uh, that site is Finding a Voice on cfrcfm.wordpress.com. We'll remain there for four years. Tell you what, let's do this first, and uh, I'll be back either just before the top of the hour or just after. How's that? Why donate to CFRC? As the world's longest-running campus community radio station, CFRC 101.9 FM has maintained its tradition of fostering campus and community culture and engagement since 1922. Our volunteer-driven music and spoken word broadcasts, and now podcasts, reach listeners locally, nationally, and internationally, allowing for community members to share their voices, perspectives, and ideas, and allowing listeners to engage opportunities more closely to connect with their community. CFRC 1019 FM is your campus and community radio station. Head to cfrc.ca and click on Donate Now for an option to donate through Queen's University or through our GoFundMe campaign. It's that easy to donate, and we thank you in advance to contributing to Queen's University Campus Radio. Yeah, that sounds good to me. I mean, if there's a listener-supported radio station... It means that people can get daily, every day, a different way of looking at the world, not just what the corporate media want you to see, but a different picture, a different understanding, but a different picture, a different understanding. Not only can you hear it, but you can participate in it. You can add your own thoughts, you know, and you can learn something and so on. Well, that's the way, uh, well, that's the way, uh, well, that's the way uh, people become uh, human, you know. That's the way you become human participants in a, in a social and political system. Friday evenings at 6 p.m. here on CFRC, listen to Saltwater Music a show covering all musical genres from the East Coast of Canada. Celtic, of course, but also rock, jazz, blues, folk, and a lot more. I'm your host, Rob Carnell. Tune in to Saltwater Music Friday evening from 6 to 8 here on CFRC 101.9 FM. Or you can catch us on the web at www.cfrc.ca. And for our listeners out east, that's 7 p.m. Atlantic and 7.30 Newfoundland. Folk Everything. Every Saturday morning from 10 till noon on CFRC. Traditional folk, modern folk, future folk, and strange deviations from the norm. Hear the legacy of folk music and discover new favorites and forgotten classics on Folk Everything. Join me every Saturday morning at 10 for a romp through folk culture here on CFRC. 
Says Red Molly to James That's a fine motorbike And I guess I guessed it pretty close We're just on this side of the top of the hour You did notice the uh, uh, promotion for the funding drive uh, Began actually on November 3rd and is running through uh, December 31st, uh, CFRC's uh, annual funding drive. Uh, this one is our 2019 funding drive. I would like to thank everyone who has uh, contributed in the and helped uh, in this effort. Uh, had a $20,000 goal, and we are at... Already, as of today, $18,336.55, and might even be more than that now, but that was where we were sitting this morning. So a heartfelt thank you to all who have uh, donated this year, desperately needed this year with the changes in uh, uh, that may or may hopefully are a thing of the past, but may or may not be. Uh, but with uh, provision, uh, provincial uh, changes to college fees and uh, and that kind of thing, so it, all the more important uh, to us this year. So always, anything that's donated is appreciated. If you haven't and are just considering or had been considering, uh, there are ten days left in the funding drive. Actually, eleven. It runs through the thirty-first. Uh, it's all done through our website, uh, www.cfrc.ca. Uh, you can donate through, and you'll see you have two options on that page. Uh, if you get to our funding drive page there, uh, you can donate through Queens for tax receipt, or you can donate through our GoFundMe campaign. Uh, enters a chance uh, to win our New Year's Eve raffle draw. Uh, for an amazing uh, prize package with gifts uh, I'm showing here from Old Farm Fine Foods, uh, Toucan, uh, the Toucan Pub, uh, Gray uh, um, Malkin's uh, Wireworks, uh, Cash for Clothes, and the Art Gallery of Ontario. So there you go. Uh, again, uh, thanks to all of you who have already donated uh, not only this year, but who have supported us in our past funding drives. Uh, it's much appreciated. And now we are really into two minutes, looks like, into the second hour of today's show. So it is 5.02.5, it looks like, almost 30 seconds after already. And just to let you know, you are listening to Finding a Voice here on CFRC 101.9 FM. Again, we are located in Lower Carruthers Hall, Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario. My name is Bruce. I'm here every Friday afternoon from 4 to 6 o'clock. We do stream live online at www.cfrc.ca. In the second hour from, again, the November 26th, the book launch event at and reading event held at the Grad Club. You'll hear Alan and Breezemaster reading from and launching his new collection of poetry called The Long Bond. Uh, and uh, following that, then, uh, from the November 5th and the Journey Continues monthly open mic uh, series, you'll hear readings by Bob McKenzie, Meg Freer, Ken Chin, Lyle Merriam, Corey Toke, Chris Carney, John Rose, Sarah Emtish, Eric Folsom, Raven Adamson, Edie Rainey, or it might be Rainey, and me. 
And this first, uh, just the usual hourly announcement. Occasionally, some poetry spoken word or music played on this show may contain strong language, but it's all played in its entirety with content unedited to honor the creative integrity of both the author and the piece. Let's go ahead and continue now with that book launch that began uh, in the first hour uh, this afternoon, held at the Grad Club on November 26th. And to conclude with the featured reading that evening, here is Ellen Breesmester launching and reading from his latest collection of poetry called The Long Bond. Ellen Breesmaster has been active in the Toronto area literary scene for many years as a workshop leader, reading series organizer, freelance editor, and publisher. He was partner in Quattro Books in 2006 to 2017. Since 2003, he's published limited edition art and poetry chapbooks and full-length books with his own small press, Aeolus House. Alan is the uh, author of eight books of poetry, the latest of which, The Long Bond, selected and uh, new poems, just came out uh, from Guernica Editions. He has read his poetry, given talks, and hosted readings and launches at venues across Canada. In 2017, he was awarded life membership in the League of Canadian Poets. He lives in Thornhill, Ontario. Bring up Alan Breesmaster. Thank you, Bruce, for organizing this, and uh, and also for, for bringing uh, to uh, everyone's uh, ears uh, Meg and, and Gary. Um, it's a treat for me to uh, discover their their work and, and hear them. I'm going to uh, try and turn up the volume. Everyone can can hear me a little better than they can hear uh, the folks up there. I hope. Um, yeah, uh, I'm going to uh, do about uh, a dozen poems from my new book, and uh, I'd like to warm up with a, a short one that's a celebration of. Uh, some of the music that I really like and is important to me. Um, I heard a, a tremendous a jazz group in, in Toronto uh, quite many years ago. This is an earlier poem, and uh, I, I wrote a little four-parter uh, with each of the parts uh, representing one of the instruments in uh, the Joe Henderson Quartet. And uh, it goes like this. From the dark solar mouth, a torrent of cries breaks in rainbows. Soft freight slams the night. Wheel clash, pistons, carom thunder over skin. Plucked throbs arc across the bridge of the blood. Outwalk all bars. One hand grabs the ground, another hammers embers into stars. The next one is also uh, uh, from an experience in Toronto, this time uh, uh, riding a bus, looking out. Uh, uh, I guess I was on my way to work, I forget, but uh, I would never forget what I saw at the window. Um, 
This poem is called Mother and Girl. In a flare of sun on a corner, young willow woman with long summer arms like wands lifts, lifts her giggling three-year girl into the wind. They spin white skirts that billow, mirroring each other. A touch balances the forms, tender and wild. One swirls both higher, and they are planet and sun, whose double smile flashes beyond the rim of laughter, back between eyes locked, whirling aloft this rootless world, till in changed light my bus groans, turns, and the ring of vision wobbles, almost lost among clouds, jostlings in the shade and dust. And now I'll turn to, to one that uh, I think I've memorized, but I, I don't trust myself. Uh, um, another, um, well, we had a mother and, and daughter. I'll do a father and daughter uh, poem uh, uh, based on a, another experience. Um, yeah, the first ones I'm reading are from kind of the earlier part of the book. They go back a long ways, and uh, it's, it's been great for me to have the opportunity to gather some of my, if you will, oldies but goodies, I, I think, and uh, that are, are not so easily available, and put them together with more, more recent work that's kind of a survey of what I've done so far. So this one's called Golden Delicious. It's a little longer than the, the others. Golden Delicious. Bagged from fluorescent stores, they're mealy, jello flavor. Greens and most reds keep in a juicier crunch, but go out on a farm the tail end of October, pick some live, and then your taste loads color and a tone beyond the label. Though I can't say which feels better, savoring your choice among the yellow rose or the sheer seeing after imaging small planets that <coughs> droop such rich light from tips to bases of the laden trees. But best is when the child beside you reaches and tastes to be there with her at the core of autumn while across time you recall holding the cool of the fine sallow skin, pale, freckled, evenly covered in the palm with tiny scars that turns golden again a branch length off or higher when the sun steps through cold cloud onto her ladder and touches the boughs around her arm. Golden-haired girl, there where the steady fruits bloom and have bloomed, weighted light above the pungent crush and bruise toward cider. Where earthly coronas unwrap in the eyes that now reopen childhood deep and tongue becomes less cloudy. So then the crisp tart nectar fountains in the mouth, unsealing vaults of health that stay a while before the lapses, mostly blind in wax and brazen hunger toward shop-worn fool's gold. 
And uh, just to uh, extend the theme a little bit, I'm going to do a father and son poem from a later book. This is called Mythic Witness, and it's one of uh, a few poems in here that are about my my late parents and my uh, somewhat difficult relationship with them, and uh, uh, certainly with my my father. Um, however, uh, uh, both my parents uh, gave me a love of, of nature, and my father, particularly the the outdoors and wild places, and. Uh, I'm very grateful to that, uh, to him for that. Uh, other things, well, <laughs> read between the lines um, or hear the lines. A mythic witness is what this is called. A mythic witness for my father. I witness not so much for the defense as for a counter myth and being aware. My testimony speaks without pretense of grasping truth or justice, but with care. Disdaining my ineptitude seems fair. The daydreams, the deficient common sense. Exposure to deep woods in mountain air transformed fear into awe at the immense. I fumbled objects thrust toward unsure hands but long legs worked us far up the wild lands, outside soft pity, free from grid and clock. If there were not bonds to you, there did grow bands whose lonely sinew stretched me to take stock through you of what made mud, of what was rock. Okay, let's go to <laughs> one of my few um, religious poems and humorous poems, uh, more than the one, I, at least I, I hope you'll find it amusing. Uh, this goes back into an earlier book. Uh, this one's by request. I hope you'll have, have fun with it. Um, where are we here? Yeah, right here. <clears throat> Yeah, you, you probably came across the, uh, the fable of the, the blind man and the elephant. Um, actually, I found out after I'd written this that uh, it came to the West uh, through Rumi, but originally from a Buddhist uh, source. I thought it was uh, interesting to, to know. Uh, anyway, this is religious musing. <laughs> Finish. <laughs> of course, if you can't contain yourself. <laughs> if the divine or the deity is like the ultimate elephant, and we the blind men of the fable, oh, my traditionalist friend, you seem to have palmed on your palms the immense hindquarters and found their pillared stature fully satisfactory. <laughs> Perhaps also aroma. Then here's hoping the whole bottom never squats on thee. <laughs> I, meanwhile, seem to scrape a finger at fitful intervals along the flappy leathern spinnaker of ear. 
so catch a shifting and entirely different wind thereon, therein. Heaven help them, though, who clutch for purchase on the bland sidewall. Any who haul at scrawny rope of tail, or whom the long-swung roguish tusks impale. And, okay, let's go to, uh, I thought, that I, when I decided to read this, I thought it might be a little more seasonal than it is, but we have had the first, the first snow already. Uh, I see a little of it left to here and there around town as it is back in Thornhill where I'm from. Uh, so it's just kind of a fun thing about the, the uh, beginning of winter called White Passage. The shock of the first snow is beauty and strangeness more than cold. As when you are younger, wind-thrown snow, the thicker, the more brisk, the better, only breathes exhilaration, hardly sweat at all to take or shake it, riding with no hands, off-grounded, body sailing through the flow, the total crest of youth now brinked along alternate childishness to spill onto fresh foolery and thrill and thin-clad daring because this chill stroke, this foremost open kiss pulls out the floor of her and your not ever turning back abyss. I'll, I'll cut right to my uh, erotic poem from, from that. Uh, yeah, there's some love poems in, in here, but I think I, I'm going to read uh, a marriage poem later, later on, and, uh, which is also a love poem. And, uh, and this one that I think I, I have to, to heart, it's called Skin of Our Vision. These hands traveling our bodies in the dark sculpt us new spaces. There we flood, warm from such meeting distance. What smooth, viewless light, to which this flesh is only curtain, while our breaths unite over the gulf stream of twined, fiery blood. And Yeah, I'm going to uh, go right on to uh, my uh, a dream poem from there, uh, from the darkness into the light of, of dreams. And uh, uh, I'll have to ask Will after this, uh, who's here, a former colleague of mine. We uh, worked together when we were both in the 9 to 5 world some, some years back. Um, <clears throat> I, whether uh, he occasionally has uh, dreams or nightmares about uh, what it was like working well, in, in, in IT. <laughs> uh, let's see, what page is that on here? Um, yeah, once in a while I, I do, and uh, I was at a, uh, in a writing group where I, I, I don't normally write about my dreams, but uh, that was the challenge um, to... Um, write a, a dream, and uh, I actually wrote uh, uh, two dreams, 
price of one. The first one is, is very short, and, and I, I think of them uh, being together, although really they could, could be separate, especially the second one, which is longer. Um, you know, I call them Office Dream 1 and Office Dream 2. Office Dream 1. The cubicle with little desk where you might still be called on to perform some remnants of your old job's duties has lost its walls. Fringed with dark foliage, it lies open to the rain. Office Dream 2. New office tower, some hundred floors. A former company, revamped, has hired you back. You have a vague but high-level assignment. Each day, their headquarters relocates without your knowledge. <laughs> At lunch hour, the eatery has moved. Nobody knows you. Signage is missing or ambiguous. You rehash the dull sense of insufficiency from past years, and a prior fear leaks back. This world has morphed away beyond the grasp of your old, fading, obsolescent skill set. At a strange console for inputting codes, you strain to recall symbols long unused. A sudden deadline looms for your lone project. The specs they gave were not especially clear. You arrive one day in your underwear. <laughs> Nobody notices. It seems, so far, you are the single person here who cares. That's a bit of a composite effect. Uh, fortunately, I don't have these too, too often, or at least I don't remember them. Uh, but uh, that was kind of fun to do. Uh, okay, um, yeah, I mentioned a kind of a marriage poem, and this is the partner. This is a, a much shorter one. Uh, no reflection on my partner. Sure, I could write a, I could write a big book, but sometimes it really goes a long way. The partner. This life tears on through progress and decay. Past lives lie killed while in the frantic present, one fades fast and less joltingly renascent. It seems I'm Frankensteined by innovation that flattens futures into instants gone and fouls the fields loved under antique dawn. If not for your long, constant new creation, my spirit would be void of scope for play. I'd lurch in shrouding whirlwinds of dismay. You fortify a space to temper rages, outmode regret by timely consummation, and charge me with a use for troubled age. Electrical imagery there, I think. Um, and nearing the, the end, um, I have uh, a poem of tribute in here to one of my favorite uh, poets of uh, classical period, in this case, the 
the Tang Dynasty in, in China. And uh, this is, is called Tudu Fu, um, who is, uh, although he thought his work would be forgotten, um, it was preserved and he's still possibly the most loved poet in, in China today uh, among those who read, still read poetry, and I think many, many do. Uh, his dates are 712 to 770 AD. To do Fu. Such disparate worlds, but you call far across the abysses, from frail hut after hut of right words, begun in a once grand society, bled by insane ceaseless wars, worn down, bowed as you were in ill health, withdrawn beside the long waters under desolate cirrus, wan moon that even so gave like an ablution your constellated lines, their fluent image of being. Poor and obscured, seldom back home or for long at each refuge, in threadbare cold and sadness, a fleeting reprieve with a friend, the helpless compassion, bald grief, your cry still issues its power to pierce the dust laid down over ages of collapsing kingdoms' ruins, perennial guises of greed, wrath, and pride, the murk also of the clumsy translations, to glass and distill and bring near the most remote visions for those who sip your moonlit wine as they rock slowly there in the thin but miraculous boat of the brain that slips past blithe or brutish denial and scorn of the historic warnings, decline of mere solidarity in a thoughtful existence of care. You who breathe improbable brotherhood past every mask of despair. And I want to almost end, uh, I think I'll do two, two real short ones. Um, but I, I'd like to include this, this poem, uh, although it's kind of uh, uh, somber. Uh, it, it contains the title of the book in it. It's um, in memory of a, a very close friend who uh, passed away a few years ago. <clears throat> it's called Our Path. We climb on through the wounds, which are, after all, not fatal, only mortal. And so we will go, whether safe or at risk, to earth, to waters, toward skies of amenable stars, yet never be bound away from true friends in the long bond with them. There is hurt. Even so, I refuse being sealed. I stride or limp after what moves beyond all, which is also within and gives lift to the load. It undarks at the knowing this path cannot shut. How something far in us goes on, reaches past the lone end. 
And it's tempting to end with the word end, but uh, I think I'll end with uh, something uh, something else. Uh, um, there's a sort of a Sherry D. Wilson uh, connection uh, in this, this poem. I just re- remember uh, when I, I'd first written it, reciting it at a League of Canadian Poets meeting, and uh, it's a it's a, tri- a poem in, in tribute, uh, it's another uh, tribute poem to a, a Quebecois poet, uh, Jose Aquilin, uh, who I, I discovered uh, through a, a translation uh, put up by my publisher, Guernica Editions, uh, um, some years ago now, and I heard him, him read. He recites his, his work, and uh, um, you know, he's kind of a, a performer. Uh, I mean, there's only one Cherry D, but Cherry knew, uh, knew him, and uh, uh, anyway, she liked this, this poem uh, that I, I did. It's very short. <laughs> my introduction is longer than the, than the poem. It's called Free Flight. And our tribute to anyone here who's the least uh, creative, and clearly you all you all are. You haven't. No one's left the room. You know. So, <laughs> so it's uh, to all of you. Free flight. You hear the bird as you do, thanks to your star. In moments when logic itself seems mirage, breaking the habit of dust, and all at once. Mobility needs no wing. And in this universe off its edges, the dark in your light lifts like fog. And I hope I haven't uh, left you in a fog. I hope there's some clarity and, and light uh, came through in my, in my reading. In any case, thanks for your, your patience and attention in, in listening. And I'm very happy to, to be here uh, with you all. Uh, and thanks again, Bruce. Is Ellen Breeze Master? Let's give him another hand. Like I always do for the three of them, May, Gary, Ellen, let's give him another hand. Thank you, too, all for coming out. Uh, I think there's still a few goodies. may still be a few goodies left. Be sure and help yourselves. But be sure and uh, reach out to the poets. And uh, most of them, I think they all have books yeah. up there. As, and they'd love to chat with you as well. So thank you. And you just heard Ellen Breezemaster launching and reading from his latest collection of poetry called The Long Bond, New and Selected uh, Poems. And uh, tell you what, let's, and that happened at the Grad Club on uh, November 26th. Tell you what, let's do this and I'll be right back. Do you like to dance? Tune into The Hustle with DJ Bolt every Friday night between 11 p.m. and midnight. Where you'll hear all the newest dance, electronic, French touch, booty bass, ghetto, deep, and tech house remixes and more. Let The Hustle take you to midnight and beyond at 11 p.m. on 4 to the Floor Fridays. Only on CFRC 101.9 FM.
The Kingston Community House for Self-Reliance, widely known as 99 York, has for 30 years been providing a central, low-cost meeting space for groups that allow like-minded people to come together to learn from one another, to share resources and trade skills. The goal of this house is to act as an integral part of the neighborhood in which it is located. On a typical evening, an autism caregiver relief group will be at 99 York, together with a 12-step organization and a transgendered support group, while a social justice and homeschooling group may be booked in the following day. The community house is also available for less official functions, such as barbecues, birthday and office parties, and other social gatherings. We are proud to also serve the Queen's community. For more information, visit 99 York Street in Kingston. Go to www.99york.org, email info at 99york.org, or call 101.9 FM's annual funding drive starts the week of November 3rd. The Student Choice Initiative has put a big dent in our coffers and we need your support to maintain operations, increase local news, sports and arts coverage, and to continue providing programs, services and training for community members seeking to share their voices, perspectives, services and more for the benefit of the whole community. Please help by donating online through our GoFundMe campaign, found through our website, www.cfrc.ca, and through social media. We need your help more than ever. Donate this November. And as I mentioned in the first hour, the funding drive does run through December 31st, uh, and... uh, we're getting closer to our goal. We're only $1,663 out of uh, $20,000 of reaching it. So my heartfelt thanks to all of you who have contributed. And if you were thinking about it and haven't yet, uh, please uh, check out the website, www.cfrc.ca, and you can uh, donate in one of two ways, either through the GoFundMe campaign and uh, qualify for a chance to win a New Year's Eve raffle that has all kinds of things in it. Or if you prefer a tax receipt, uh, there's another option to do it that way. So check it out, www.cfrc.ca. And again, heartfelt thanks to all who already have 
and you are listening to Finding a Voice here on CFRC 101.9 FM. My name is Bruce, here every Friday afternoon from 4 to 6 o'clock. And again, we do stream live online at that same website, www.cfrc.ca. We're going to go ahead and jump now into the second round readings at the and the journey continues this was the november 5th and the journey continues monthly open mic reading in that series up first uh to finish up a group of um, poets each with one poem bob mckenzie meg freer uh ken chin and lyle miriam enjoy recital Jazz fingers dance across the keys in pas de deux and playful pirouettes, leap high in spinning dervish whirls, drop to hip-hop backspin breakdance, street beats bop the blues, become kick-dancing Cossacks, flung airborne arms outspread in joy, drop to knees, slide glissando across white tiles, rise on point, poetic music box slow, Channel Chopin, Gershwin, Jerry Lee, rock steady beat goes on and on, and on the keys, jazz fingers dance. As we bring up Make Frail, let's give Bob McKenzie another hand. Brenda Lifeso. This is her book, Wild Matter, which I really like. And uh, this next poem is a kind of response to some of the poems in her book. So I've quoted just two short phrases from two of the poems in this book. But the book's at Novel Idea, if anyone wants a nice book of poetry. So this book is called, uh, this poem is called Your October and Mine. Your October feels like the futility of chasing sheep's wool across fields, and your nasturtiums survive, fill in gaps, turn, slow, follow, bow. But mine is all about how nasturtiums take over corners of the garden and flow out across the walk, dare to grow bigger and brighter every day, how grass still shines bright green, cicadas buzz on past September, the cardinal sings each morning in a particular tree, and even the wasp has a shadow. How my son notes that today the thermometer reads the same as the average yearly temperature in temperate deciduous forests. And my October offers yours a hug, a hot toddy, and one of those wool sweaters with which you would wrap the world during hoarfrost crisp January. As we bring up Ken Chin, let's give Meg Freer another hand. This is a question for all the guys. If I had a dream come true, well, the girls, whatever. Anybody who knows me knows I travel quite a lot. This one's called cultural exchange. It was very near closing time. Behind me, a voice, heavy in Scandinavian accent. Do you want to dance? I turned in my chair. She was very blonde and very drunk. We danced, then the club closed. 
We took a cab back to my hotel. Her name was Aneta from Sweden. She took the ferry from across the Vasaborten for some fun in Finland. Didn't speak much English. Didn't need to. The glaze in her ice blue eyes told me all that I needed to know. We got high, then we got naked. Her pale white skin was as cool as a Finnish summer night. She left next morning, left her address in Sweden and an invitation. A week later, I stepped off the ferry in Umeå. She zoomed in to meet me on her bicycle. Long, white dress flowing. Blonde hair, sparkling and dancing in the sunlight. Blue eyes that, and that mischievous smile of anticipation. Her apartment was small but adequate and rather cozy. The entire summer, Anita said, had been cold and rainy. She asked if I brought back the sun and heat. Actually, too much heat. Record heat wave drove us to spend a lot of time in the bathtub. She loved washing my hair. Long, jet black hair did not exist in those parts. If she was a cat, she'd be purring as she worked with this shampoo and this suds. Slender, gentle fingers caress and explore my hair. She couldn't believe that it was my natural hair color. End of the bath was almost a ritual. She always had me spray her down with ice cold water. Annette screamed with delight. Her milky white skin turned rosy pink. She asked me if I liked Sweden. I answered yes, very much so. I lied. The climate was boringly close to Ontario. <laughs> Other than slightly higher standard of living and better hygiene, Urmio can be any small town in Ontario. And the majority of Swedish women are not blonde. She asked what traditional Canadian music was. I bought her a Gordon Lightfoot album. <laughs> she showed me the town and showed me off to the town. We went to the parks and beaches with her friends. Women sunbathing and swam topless around there. Viking women, so natural and so beautiful. Too much of a good thing can't be good. And I knew that I soon had to go. It was a dream fulfilled, so what more could I want? About a week or so, I left. I never saw Annette again. About 10 years later, I received a letter with a very blurred photo. She became a born again Christian and hoped I'd do the same. What a fucking waste. <laughs> so give, uh, uh, back to, as we bring up Lyle Miriam, let's give Ken Chin another hand. This is untitled. As I walk along the street, leaves crunch and crackle beneath my feet. Another summer come and gone, another winter coming on. As I swiftly walk on by, the trees stand stark against the sky. As the squirrels congregate, it will soon be time to hibernate. Another blooming season ends. The leaves fall, the flowers die, the stalk bends. The roots lie dormant beneath the ground and patiently wait within a sound. The sky turns dark, the wind grows cold. Another year is growing old. Another summer come and gone. Another winter coming on. Thank you.
And as you heard uh, readings, uh, you just heard readings uh, by uh, Bob McKenzie, Meg Freer, Ken Shin, and Lyle Merriam. And up uh, next in that uh, group of readings, you can hear readings by Corey Toke. And uh, let's see where I'm at here. Chris Carney, John Rose, and Sarah M. Tish. So here we go with those. So this one's titled Martian Story. Martians mythologize a time before mineral wastes pigmented their planet. A green time. A blue time. Both or more. Only one can be true, humanity's objection. All are true, the tellers retort. Thank you. As we bring up Chris Carney, let's give Corey Toke another hand. The Sims. If we think about this reality as a simulation, we consider the motives of it, the entity or existence that governs our existence. Some, many, call it God. The scientists of our simulation must have a reason, right? Read hope. So let's look at, rather than reason, let's look at something as simple as this. How do we complete the simulation? How do we become the test subject that does it? So that we are not just another one, another zero, on the blip as oblivion. What furthers our kind? What advances our tech, our cars, our speed? Metal, and that sweet, oh, that sweet fucking smell of that burning oil. So then, who threatens us? Who can kill us? Ourselves? No. We can kill most of us, and I mean most. In the blink of an eye? No, we are cockroaches. We would survive ourselves. Who then would kill us off? Who could wipe our putrid existence clean off the slate? Humanoids, homo sapiens, us? No, she could do it. Her, our very home from deep within. Our mother, nature, this place we call Earth. She could snap her fingers and end us like poop. We must grow in symbiosis with our home or die. The funny thing about this is we can, quite easily really. We have the tech, we have the knowledge, and we caught it early enough. But I fear our simulation might just be another one, another zero, because we are cursed with reaction, not proaction. Or at least that is what we must prove, or she will snap her fingers and will be gone like poof. Another one, another zero. Thank you. As we bring up JR, let's give Chris Carney another hand. Whenever I read poetry, I like to give a disclaimer and say I'm a musician, not a poet, because I'm insecure about uh, reading poetry, because I don't really know what poetry is, I feel like. Um, so I'm going to read some lyrics from a song I'm working on. 
uh, I'm inspired by this little cupy thing here, whoever brought that in, because I know there's some workers in town who I think are locked out. So this song is called Daily Bread. Lead me not into temptation. I've had some trouble with that sensation. Forty times around the sun, you think I know when fooling's done. I would say deliver me from evil, but I may have lost hope in people. My daily bread comes at a price, quick to anger, quick to fight. Our Father, who art dejected, in my voice you are reflected. All the F words, death words plenty, the way a whiskey bottle empties. Worked in a shop on Richmond Ave, nothing left there but a concrete slab. What do you got left for a middle-aged man, picking food out of garbage cans? Now you tell me you can't pay me. A hundred pennies and a cup won't save me. All I want is a living wage, and I'll take my bread if I don't get paid. Raising the cost of living in the city, no Hollywood movie's gonna make it look pretty. I'm a couple steps from death or jail. I pray to the Lord there's a check in the mail. So you might find me hanging, you might find me swaying. I've had enough of hoping, I've had my done my share of praying. So don't you call the cops on me, don't you call the priest. Just take me down and hold me close and marvel at my peace. As we bring up Sarah Emptage, let's give JR another hand. Give Sarah Amtage another hand. Um, okay, another unfaithful translation of the French poet uh, Jean Cocteau. Um, this is about, uh, I suppose, self esteem. It sounds so much more elegant in French. So. <laughs> Contre le doute, je n'ai pas de revue. Against self, doubt I'm without sanctuary, in whose hands shall I place my fate? And judging myself, I both judge and jury and gaze at myself with self-hate. How marvelous self-love, and not feeling sorry, believing your virtue a while, but sabotaged by my unburied memories, I put myself back on trial. The lawyers suspect me, the jury accuses, each witness declares me at fault, condemned to listen and not make excuses. My death is the final assault, I see. As we bring up Raven Adamson, let's give Eric Folsom another hand. Some time, 
a burst of energy, don't deny me. We shade music, we shade vibe, vying to thrive. Can't always place the insecurity and insanity, but I know now the ways in which it's stopping me, or at least some things. The fear that can and will course through me, and I fight the feeling by embracing the feeling and looking past it anyway. Anyway, big smiles from strangers with stories to tell and intentions to hide. I see better and better through the lies and through my own denial, sipping wine and smoking for pleasure to sigh away the things that don't matter. I can feel better. I can see better. My eyes are less tired and better rested, no longer invested in those who don't matter. Terrible music plays, irritates me, disrupts my spring haze. Can't stand the fakeness of, of, of the fray. Don't pass me off with the pretenders. Yeah, I know better. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know better. If I could laugh, I'd love you. If I could smile at anything you said, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We could be laughing lovers. I think you prefer to be miserable instead. That's a Franz Ferdinand lyric. <laughs> um, I don't fuck with you. <laughs> That's a big Sean lyric. <laughs> Uh, that bullshit stinks, can't stand too close, can't inhale. I've been impaled by an insane liar, and I'm still standing, licking my wounds. And I have the power to heal, I just have to give myself a chance, a chance on romance with my creative psyche. Free me, free to be, live freely. Thanks, guys. And as we bring up Edie, let's give Raven Adamson another hand. on you at an angle so steep all the blue is gone and all it has is a golden fire and you have a heart that is a prism cut with so many sides that you cannot help but take but light everything around you you do not have to think to turn one thing into many you take in that steep light and suddenly it is pink and orange and red and blue and yellow and purple and green and yellow again I think you have some sense that that is how the light lies on you but in case you forget or you doubt, or you simply did not realize. This is me telling you that that is how the light lies on you. Let's give Edie another hand. Oh, before I read my, it's a, just a short poem. Did I get everybody that wanted to read? I think everybody that was here got their second chance. I didn't miss anybody this time, did I? Cool. But uh, we've heard some wonderful readings tonight and performances. Let's uh, give yourselves and everybody else another hand. And another hand for Grace, who's here in the Yum Cafe, who lets us be here. And just a reminder, the next reading in this series is, it's always the first Tuesday night of the month. I think you all know that, uh, but it is, uh, I believe I looked it up, it's December 3rd. This is a very short poem to close us out. It's called Choice Again. Perhaps it is wiser to wander about aimless, 
bandwidth destination in mind, discovering it more, the fullness of place, of self. Thanks. And you just heard, I kind of booked two back-to-back there, readings by uh, Corey uh, Toke, Chris Carney, John Rose, Sarah Emtish, Eric Folsom, Raven Adamson, Edie Rainey, and myself. And uh, I just needed to do that uh, because we're getting kind of tight for time here. You have been listening to Finding a Voice uh, here on CFRC 101.9 FM. Thank you so much for tuning in this afternoon. Just a reminder, you can, uh, uh, these shows will be, uh, both hours will be saved to my blog space at Finding a Voice on CFRCFM.wordpress.com shortly and available there hope you can tune in next week please stay tuned to two hours of east coast music with rob carnell saltwater music coming right up top of the hour thanks again have a great week have a happy holiday thank you for listening to this podcast produced at cfrc 101.9 fm in kingston ontario at queen's university situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples. The CFRC Podcast Network at podcast.cfrc.ca is brought to you by the generous support of the Queen's University Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences.